that was a quick uh, recap from baptisms last week for those of you that weren't able to make it and celebrate people getting baptized. It was really exciting. Um, Aaron is on vacation this week, so you guys are stuck with me. You're welcome. Um, Aaron on occasion likes to give an update on his current health, what limbs he may have almost lost, where he has Band-Aids currently. So I like to call it the State of Aaron Address. And in likeness of that, I'm going to give you my personal update. I've been battling a cough for like two weeks now. I was really praying it was going to be gone by today. It's not. So if I happen to cough or need to clear my throat halfway through this message, I'm just going to apologize in advance because I'm just going to power on through and get through this. So we'll just call the front few rows the splash zone this morning. No, I'm kidding. So, um, again, if you would like a Bible or you would need to use a Bible, you may have forgot one or just want one. There are Bibles in the back, underneath the chairs, in front of you. There's also an app called YouVersion. You can download that. Click on events. Click on live. You can get all the sermon notes. There are also notes on all the communion tables, and you can get all of today's verses and some questions for today's message and all the fun that we're going to get into. So, good morning again, everyone. Um, Back at the end of 2016 here at Element, we went through a series of us uh, called What in the World? The, this is where Aaron presented questions he had asked himself while reading through Scripture. Those parts of the Bible where you read and you ask, what in the world? What does that mean? Or why is it said that way? Aaron also invited the church at this time to ask their own what in the world questions to be answered later on. And that brings us to here today, this morning, where we're in the middle of our What in the World Part 2 series. The question I get to answer for you guys this morning goes as follows. In Philippians 1, 15 through 18, Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So the question that goes along with this verse is, why is Paul rejoicing that people are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition? Is that okay to proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition? Now, this is a really interesting question I get to answer. There's there's actually a really cool answer behind it. Whoever asked this question must have had some really good insight. Probably super smart, pretty cool guy to hang out with. Big fan of Star Wars, likes playing Zelda with his kids. Okay. Yes, this is my own question. Uh, My name is Donald Weeding. I'm a deacon and GC leader here at Element, and that is kind of part of the problem because I asked this question during our What in the World series, and Aaron basically said, that's a really good question. You should answer it. So while you guys were all able to submit a question and wait patiently for six months to get an answer, I got to dive into my own question for six months, study and learn up on it, and then I guess stand above in front of all you and give you the answer. And the good news is that I did find an answer. Not the answer I really thought I was going to find, but the right answer nonetheless. So let's get started by standing for the reading of God's word, and we'll get into this. This is the last part of Philippians 1.18. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that we can be a people that just find ways to rejoice in your word, that we can spread your gospel and hear your truth, and that We can just find joy in that above all other things. That no matter our own selfish ambitions or the way we look at others, the way we see your word be spread, that we can just rejoice knowing that your good word is going out into the world and doing what you call it to do. In your name we pray. Amen. So 
You can open your Bibles to Philippians 1, 15 through 18, as we're going to spend most of the morning there, right around this verse that I had this question for. So here's the easy answer to this question. People are sinners. Jesus is great. So on one side, you have all of us, and the other side is Jesus. And when we hear the gospel and have a relationship with him, then we rejoice that people are coming to Jesus. People hear the gospel. Jesus is worshipped and glorified, and that is what it is all about. So with that, we have our answer. We can just move straight on to communion, song, worshipping, and we can call it a morning, right? However, even with that simple answer, I feel like we all deserve a bit more, right? Good. I'm, I'm glad someone agrees with me because I have more to share with you, and I hope that I can give you a bit of perspective on this. See, when we were going through the first What in the World series last year, I was personally going through Paul's letters in the New Testament, and, and I came across this line and thought, what in the world? Is Paul actually saying that it's okay to share the gospel out of selfish ambition? I mean, what about those people that have their understanding of Jesus a little messed up, or their doctrine is a bit out of sorts? Or, and we all know those people. What about the people that like to talk about Jesus just because it makes them look good and makes them seem better? Is Paul saying that it's okay because of the greater good in spreading the gospel? The answer is surprisingly, yes, it is. Kind of. It's also no. Let let me explain. To begin, we have to understand that Paul is writing this letter, when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he is currently in prison. So, and this is one of Paul's most encouraging letters as he is telling the church about all the great things they are doing and he is urging them to stay strong and continue to have faith in Jesus Christ. The Church of Philippi is also extra special to Paul because it's one of the first churches that he founded in Europe after becoming a Christian. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. When reading this, the first question you have to ask is, who is Paul talking about? Well, the answer is, we don't know. We're not sure. Paul doesn't explain who he's talking about, and we're just not 100% positive who this is. What we do know is that just like Jesus had many people that were against him, Paul also himself had many detractors. detractors. There were groups that were pro-Paul and anti-Paul. However, even the people who were anti-Paul were preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He isn't talking about someone who is spreading a false gospel. This is a group of people with a proper theology, just people who didn't like Paul himself or taught in a way that Paul taught in a way differently than the way Paul encouraged See, proper theology and properly teaching the gospel is simply sharing that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. Jesus died to take on our sins so we in turn can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That Jesus makes all things new, even us. Proper theology mixes with proper teaching in that we hold on tightly to the truth that is in Jesus and being willing to fight and die for that truth. Proper theology mixes with proper teaching in that we let everything outside of that truth that is in Jesus, we, we, we just let it go. We allow ourselves to have thoughts and theories and opinions on everything outside of that truth of who Jesus is and the mission that he was on. So let's say if someone comes up to you and says, do you really believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Is that something you defend? The answer is yes. Yes, you do defend that. That is something that you defend and you hold on tightly to that truth and you're willing to fight for that truth and share that truth. But let's say someone comes up and says, do you really believe that the world was created in seven days? Do you defend that? Well, no. I mean, one Christian may say that the world was created in seven 24-hour days. 
And another may think that the, that the world was created, that it's figurative. Genesis was written poetically, and it really meant weeks or months or decades. You're allowed to have your own opinion and theory on that. The, the common theme in both of those is that God created. It's with that that you defend. It's that that you hold on to. And so we also know that the people Paul talks about are preaching a true gospel because Paul himself has very different words to, to people that teach from a false doctrine. This is what he writes in Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the people Paul is talking about are not teaching a false doctrine. We know this because he would not be rejoicing in that. They're just teaching from a motive that best meets their needs. They're teaching out of envy or rivalry towards Paul himself. Let's break down this idea of envy and rivalry. The word envy in this context is the word phonos. It's that type of envy or jealousy where you want to deprive someone of something or wish they didn't have it. So we can probably guess that the people from the anti-Paul side of things were envy and jealous of the apostle. They probably envied his gift for teaching, the effectiveness in his ministry, the way he was respected within the church, and possibly even envy and jealous of his encounters with the resurrected Jesus. This is that very same type of jealousy that had the chief priest hand Jesus over to Pilate for crucifixion. Matthew twenty-seven eighteen. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Romans 1, 28 through 29 lists envy as one of many serious sins. Envy is listed next to greed, murder, malice, gossip, slanderers, and much more. Paul, a man who acknowledges multiple times as being one of the worst sinners to ever be saved by Christ, time and time again gives encouragement to trust in Christ. Just as Paul was saved by Jesus and submitted completely to him, he goes on to encourage others to trust in Christ. He says that as believers, we're called to be a people that put aside our past self and be submissive to the Spirit. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying that, that when we believe in Jesus and when we submit to his authority, that we are made new. That by truly and faithfully submitting to the Spirit, that we will teach the gospel with joy, putting aside our own selfish wants and desires. That in that we would teach and share the gospel in love instead of through envy, rivalry, or any other ulterior motive. This is true for both envy and rivalry. The word, the word for rivalry comes from the word eris, which may also translate to strife in some of your Bibles. It refers to contention, especially with the spirit of enmity. It's the type of rivalry that leads to competition, hostility, and conflict. Now, rivalry on its own is not bad. I was at the men event yesterday, and there was some rivalry going on, but it was okay. See, rivalry on its own isn't bad. It's how it's treated. It's the motive behind it. Here's another example. Uh, Brandon McCool and I, we will have a rivalry with just about anything you can name. I mean, we'll, we'll see who can get back to snacks faster. We'll, we'll do anything there is. And we used to have a really fun rivalry between Android and iPhone. I mean, I didn't really care if he thought his Android was better than iPhone, better than my iPhone, and, because there's not a right answer in that. But we still had fun poking at each other and, and you know, having fun with that rivalry. And in many ways, I think it actually brought us closer together. 
Now, if I was to at any point have grabbed his phone and smashed it on the ground in front of him and said, that's not the phone you should have, now that would be an extremely negative form of rivalry. So rivalry on its own is not bad. It's the motive behind it and how it's treated. Plus, I wouldn't do that to him now anyways because he got smart and got an iPhone. I just poked at him from the pulpit. Okay, so rivalry on its own is not bad. But Paul is talking about this in a rivalry created of envy and jealousy. Now, at this time, there are several factions out there giving false accounts to Paul to hurt him and his reputation. We don't know that what was said about him at the time, but because the accounts were false and they were proven to be false, they, they just don't matter. So Paul, he is setting this tone of people preaching out of envy and rivalry, but he goes on to say that some preach, teach out of goodwill. Just as envy and rivalry come from the motive, the word used here for teaching out of goodwill is talking about motive. Here, though, it's the positive motive of wanting what is best for people. See, this is preaching the gospel out of love and wanting people to come to know who Jesus is because of love. A love for Christ that is shown through relationship with him and an outward pouring of that love shared with others. Years before he wrote this letter to the Philippians, he wrote this to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. And this is a verse you hear a lot at weddings and other events. And as I read it this morning, I want you guys to think about it in terms of spreading the gospel out of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. If I, give, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It, does not, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is so very clear here that teaching out of love for Jesus and about Jesus is what is encouraged. In context to Philippians 1, Paul is speaking about those who are preaching out of love. They know that he was imprisoned in defense of the gospel while others were teaching out of envy and rivalry. They they didn't see it that way. They just, you know, they didn't like Paul. They taught that Paul was in prison because he was being punished by God due to a secret sin and that if he, only still, he was only still in prison because he lacked in faith. And if he only had a more perfect faith, faith, he would have gained release or escape. These people teaching out of envy and rivalry used the fact that Paul was in prison as proof that he was inferior to them. They were using this as a way to just boast themselves up. Sure, we, we look down on these people, yet we do the same thing all the time. We are just as judgmental, if not worse, at times. I know I'm guilty of it. Even right now, we're looking down on these people for trying to boast themselves up above Paul, a man who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. We're doing the same thing right now in judging them. 
We place a crown on some for preaching the gospel, and yet we judge others who do the same because of their past based on a sin that we see as unacceptable. We look towards our pastors and elders to be perfect examples, and yet we judge those who sin. We rank ourselves either better or worse than others based on a sin, comparing it to our own sin. Some of us, we even shut down completely to hearing the gospel from someone who has sinned in a way that we see as unacceptable. We then go on to think that we are teaching and sharing the gospel properly because we know it best. Or worse, we think we don't and we place ourselves so low on the totem pole that we just don't share the gospel at all. What then, Paul asked before going on to write, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. See, Paul saw the larger picture here and even though these people were preaching out of envy and rivalry, they were preaching the true gospel. People were being saved and in that he saw that Jesus was being served and in that He rejoiced. Even though some of these people talked negatively about himself and him being in prison, he was not bitter. Instead, he found great joy that Christ was proclaimed. He rejoiced that the truth was being shared. The word rejoice shows up over 200 times in the Bible, with a fair amount coming from Paul himself. Philippians 4, 4 through 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Paul knew that no matter the motives behind the people proclaiming Christ, that God's word is always more powerful than the motive behind the person sharing it. Isaiah 55:11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, Paul knew the power behind God's word, and because he knew that, he was able to rejoice and find joy that Jesus was being proclaimed even when it came from people who didn't like him and sought to inflict him in his imprisonment. So like I said earlier, the easy answer to this question is, should we rejoice when people are spreading the gospel out of selfish ambition? The answer is yes. We do. We rejoice that the word of God is being shared and that the message of Christ is going out into the world so everyone can know the great glory of our great God. The answer is also no. Because we don't give praise to those who do teach from anything other than love. But by all means, yes, we find joy and we rejoice that the gospel is going out and it's being shared. And while this is the simple, nice answer we all want to hear, this led me to a secondary question, a, a, a tougher question, a question that we must ask ourselves and one that we must dig deep and be brutally honest with. How am I sharing the gospel? This This is a pretty serious question. Am I, and are you, sharing the gospel out of love? Or is there an ulterior motive at play? Are you trying to look good among your peers? Are you just trying to say what you feel is right? Maybe you feel like if you do, you'll earn some extra Christian points to earn your way into heaven. Or do you share the gospel out of love? Have you so fully and completely given yourself to Christ that he has changed you and molded you and loved you so deeply that you can't help but radiate that love to those around you? And you truly care for them so much that you want Jesus to be glorified by sharing his love he has shown you with them. Maybe the question needs to be changed. Maybe the question isn't, how am I sharing the gospel, but rather, do I share the gospel? See, Jesus comes on a, to save his people. He came to rescue you and I. 
He died on the cross to, for all of our sins so we can have a relationship with our great and awesome God. He, came, he then comes back from the dead. He is resurrected. And he says to his disciples, this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, we're called to be on mission, to share the good news with everyone. Paul is sharing the good news, and he's rejoicing even from prison. And do you know what Paul was doing before Jesus came to him, before he submitted himself to God? He was out persecuting and killing people for believing in Jesus. Yet even after that, Jesus shows up, calls him, and shows him that he truly is the resurrected Son of God. And Saul becomes Paul, and he went on mission to share the gospel. He went on to share the word of God with love because Paul knew that we are called to share the gospel out of love because he so loved us first. Now, I don't think anyone in this room has spent years of their life persecuting and killing Christians. I mean, that's pretty extreme even from today's standards. But I know all of us have a sin that we hold on to or we don't feel like we're good enough. But the good news is that just as Jesus revealed himself to Paul, rescued him and made him new again, he offers the same to every one of us in this room right now and beyond. And that, that is really good news. See, we don't have to be perfect to share the truth that is in Jesus. In fact, it's our imperfections that God uses to show his perfection. God uses our imperfections to walk people through some pain or hardship that he walked us through. This is great news. As imperfect people, we can go out into the world and share the truth of the gospel with our neighbors, friends, and coworkers, and everyone we encounter. And while we're encouraged to share the gospel out of love, even if we don't, we're encouraged to rejoice that Jesus is being proclaimed and we rejoice that the gospel is being shared. Like I said earlier, we, we tend to be a people that put a crown on some for preaching the gospel or we see them as a good example and we see them as, oh, they can share the gospel well because they know the right Bible verse so they speak well. And we tend to judge others or we judge ourselves for not being able to share the gospel correctly. And the truth of the matter is that we can only put a crown on Jesus and that we, have all, we, we, we don't get the right to judge others. We have already been judged. And the verdict came back. The verdict came back to worthy. And that is really cool. So before we come to communion, I I encourage you guys to ask yourselves these hard questions. Do I share the gospel? And how do I share the gospel? There'll be deacons and elders in the back that can pray with you. And if you want to discuss your answer or just pray with them, they'll, they'll be happy to do so. And here's the really good news. It doesn't matter what your answer is to these tough questions. It doesn't matter because Jesus came and rescued us. And his mission is completed. And we get to go out and and share that truth with others. And we get to rejoice in that. So the band is going to come up. And as they come up, I mean, we, we get to worship through. We get to come and worship through communion. Communion is that place where we get to recenter our lives back on Jesus and we get to focus on him. We break that cracker that represents his body that was broken for us and we dip it in the wine or grape juice that represents his blood that was spilt for you and I.
We're also going to worship through um, offerings. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. It's not something we force people to do. It's just a response. You know, I think, I think uh, our normal response, our human response when we want to share the gospel is we shy away. We're scared and we don't say anything. We always have those moments later on that we go, oh, I should have said this. I wish I said that. And it's because we're scared and we're not confident. I, I have those moments all the time. I mean, God's working on me still. He's still, you know, working on me to give me the strength to do the same. And sometimes it's easy within a room of people like this, and sometimes it's easy when you're with other Christians, but it's harder when you're out in the, outside these walls or outside these comfortable spaces. But the truth is that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have the right words, that we can just share that how God has loved us. And we get to share that with the world and show how much Christ loves us and how he came on a rescue mission for us. And so my encouragement for you this morning is, is Paul's encouragement for all of us to just go out and share the gospel out of love because he first loved us. And with that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we can be a people that have the strength and confidence to just go out and share your word and that we can put aside our own selfish wants and desires and our own ambitions and that we can just share your truth out of love and that as you continue to work on us and continue to mold us just continue to love us and hold us so tight that we can go out and do the same for the people around us Give us the strength and confidence to share your word. That even when we're scared or when we feel we don't know the right words, that we can put aside our those selfish desires and just speak truthfully and honestly. God, just give us the strength to see how much you've loved us and bring that love out to the world around us. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing, all that you will continue to do and all that you've done. Thank you, God. In your good name we pray.